0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at quiz.fox.
2: The most powerful city in the world. A new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson.
3: We are joined now by Harris Faulkner, anchor of the Faulkner Focus on Fox News Channel 11 a.m. Eastern weekdays. Also co-host of Outnumbered in the next hour weekdays on FNC. And now best-selling author of the new book, Faith Still Moves Mountains, Miraculous Stories of the Healing Power of Prayer. And she joins me here in studio. It is great to see you. Congratulations on the book.
4: Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I, You know what? It has taken on uh, so great a meaning in my life. It has ushered in testimonies of faith and miracles from people who are reading the book and sharing their own stories when they see me out at book signings or Sometimes spontaneously at the group at the, at the grocery store people will come up and they'll say, I bought that book for someone as a gift. Faith is the greatest gift that you can give someone. And it's a huge blessing in my life. And I have always known what my divine assignment is. Like I'm a witness, I'm a journalist. I'm not I'm not here to prophesize. I'm not a, a pastor. No one has ordained me to be anything other than tell other people's stories. And what is amazing at this point in my life is that other people's stories include hope. And it's changing the topic for people. I don't know how many, but I've had people say, well, when you get to be number one on the New York Times bestseller list, you've touched a lot of lives. And I'm thinking, but I'm not touching. It's the book. I'm I'm literally telling testimony from stories, some of them that I covered. Lee County, Alabama, Twister Outbreak. And the 80 some year old woman who survived praying mightily inside of the only structure that survived, that, that was still standing on her street of houses. And it was her prayer closet, wooden and tattered from the twister winds and rain. And there she was, broken hip, screaming, God, thank you. I'm so grateful for the life that you have given me. And if it is your will, more of that life. And now the aftermath. Lord, thank you, I'm still here. And the EMTs, I mean, the people who tell that story, it's, it's pretty incredible. And I have done a lot in my career. This is different. This, this is different than news coverage. This is the answer that I finally give fully when people ask me, how do you get through the tragedies that you cover? My faith. And you don't have to believe in what I tell you. Look at the evidence here. That's what I get to do in this book.
3: It's called Faith Still Moves Mountains from Fox News Books. It's already a bestseller, as you just heard there. Tens of thousands of copies already sold, and it just came out. And I know this is the most cliched question to ask of an author, but I think it's a question that I often ask anyway because it's interesting. Why... Did you write this book at this time? What caused you to do it?
4: Okay, so I want to look at my notes to answer this because I wrote this down the other day in my prayer diary. People ask me why I wrote this book, and the answer is just as simple. Tough times call for warriors, and sometimes we can't wait for them to appear. We must become the warriors. Now is that time. Now is our season to be the warriors in America, the biggest, most powerful tool in the fight, is faith. It may not feel like it. You may doubt miracles are happening and can happen to you. But the power of prayer is the impenetrable armor of winning life's battles. And I ask readers in person now, because I didn't write any of that in the book, that came to me in a prayer session that I was having and I wrote it down, which is something that I do now that I never did before. I don't know that I listen to God all that much. My mom used to accuse me of thinking he was Santa. That's all I did was ask for stuff when I was little. And this has helped me in my faith walk because now I take notes. I mean, clearly, it's not coming from me. But now my mantra is faith up. Are you with me? I mean, that's what I say to people now. And I know that didn't come from me, but I, I think if all I generate is curiosity and People leaning back in to see if this thing can work. What an amazing journey to be part of. And, and that's intro, why I wrote it. In because the intro, I got called to do it.
3: No, I, I think, I mean, that's that's a beautiful answer. And I think reading from your prayer journaling, at the top of the show, I mentioned some of our guests coming up later, including yeah. Dr. Drew. You saw I got excited. You did. I mean, I'm excited to have him on, first time on the show. I've met him before a couple different times. I've never met him. Uh, He's really fun. He's a really nice guy. But our topic with him later isn't that fun. It's about isolation and loneliness and depression really growing in this country. And I think there's been a lot of darkness the last couple years in a lot of people's lives. And... I'm not one to just say, oh, well, look, you know, it's a country that's moving away from faith and God and religion, and it's we're not better off for it. I think there's probably some truth to that. But I think we also are desperate for uplifting good stories yes. of hope compared to so much of what we ingest in our news diet, cultural diet, every single day. And you are chronicling some of those stories in your book.
4: You know, um, I love the way you put that. And what you're talking about is that everybody comes in at this from a different place in their lives, a different season, if you will. The season that we all shared most recently that has gotten us to perhaps a depletion of hope and a misunderstanding about having a relationship with the Lord because maybe he didn't rescue as many people as we thought needed to be rescued in the pandemic is a time Where we saw lockdowns of places of worship, but we saw that you could get alcohol delivered to your doorstep in many states like my own, New Jersey. And while you couldn't get together to pray, you could smoke weed together and go to a weed dispensary and and get what you needed. And I'm not just talking about medicinal purposes because that has a place. But we were allowed to recreate and become intoxicated, but not with the Lord. We, we, we couldn't recreate and become intoxicated with hope. That wasn't allowed. What kind of statement is that about where and who we really want to be? And by the way, our children are watching us, whether they live with you or they're the neighbor's kids, they're all ours. And you, you talk about motivation about writing a book. Yes, this was put on my heart to do from from what I just told you, what I could see, but what I lived through in 2020 showed me that even those of us who want to believe that God hears our prayers are challenged. And on Christmas Day in 2020, I got a call that changed my life in a way that made me very angry. And I took that anger into prayer. And I couldn't stop talking. And I just figured there was no answer back of why God would take my father, my only living parent, the person I lovingly called my spare after my mom passed away in 2016 at Thanksgiving, so you can imagine how I feel at the holiday time. Mm, both of them.: Yeah, and, and and now everybody knows those stories, and so when people see me, they, they say, "If you can still believe after your dad died on Christmas, your North Star, then maybe I can." And so it's not been a perfect journey, and it hasn't been without bumps, and I don't want people to think that I'm, oh my gosh, she's like Susie Sunshine." No, no I, that, that's Janistine. Oh, yeah.
3: Just don't sit. I know it. I mean,
4: beautiful, sunny, kind, the whole kit and caboodle. She is. She is all of that. But but she and I have prayed together, too. The loss that she suffered during the pandemic with her parents-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always make sense, God's timing. And I'm not asking life to be perfect, but I didn't know how to pray to that. I only know knew how to take my angst. And so I tried to do what my mother taught me at that time, and that was to be quiet. And things like what I'm sharing with you today, and I hadn't read that before, but I wanted to today, um, are from a prayer journal that I started. And some of the things that I pray now are a little bit of journaling in the book. There are several original prayers that I put the scriptural inspiration for them so you can read, okay, well, where did Harris's words come from? Can I read more in the Bible and it's actual scripture? You can, because I, I put down where you find it. But it's only a few lines on healing or family togetherness or lamenting. Um, I think that we can be there for each other if we share our journeys in meaningful ways. And I get to be the conduit. And I'm so thrilled that people are giving this as a gift this Christmas, because Christmas will be hard for me.
2: Mm.
4: And it's great to know that people will be taking this and saying it's lifting
3: them up. Yeah, that's sustenance for you, too. Yeah. It's for them, but it's also for you.
4: I'm sorry for getting choked No, up.
3: no, how, you're talking about losing your father. I mean, <laughs> you are yeah. fully forgiven on that one, Harris. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> one more question on the book before I want to ask about maybe something newsy. You and I follow each other on social media, and so I'm sort of from a distance following your book tour. And you're doing <laughs> okay. a lot of these events. And some of these photos, cause I, I wrote a book with Mary Catherine Ham years ago. We had a I know. book We went around and signing yeah. books and all that. So I, I mm-hmm. remember, I'm thinking back to it, we didn't have the same scenes that you're having where in <laughs> some of these photos, you're like in a prayer circle holding hands I with know. strangers. Just talk about that.
4: It was spontaneous. Uh, my first book signing was at the Patriot Awards in Hollywood, Florida. Yep. And that was a fun event. What I didn't anticipate was that people would purchase the book and begin reading it on site. And so they were reading it in line, and, and there, there were so many people. I mean, it, it just it's a very popular event to celebrate Americans doing great things. Fox does it every year. I had never been. And I looked up, and I saw a woman crying as she was reading the book. And I said, who are you thinking of? And she gave me a name. And I said, does anybody else have a name of somebody we want to lift up? Let's hold hands. And I, I did this initially. I said, look, I know we're in a pandemic, but I'm I, I'm – I happen to believe that we have to touch each other. And um, that brought a little bit of laughter when I held on to people and I said, I'm taking one for the team here. But that's what this is going to take. Like we have to be able to be together. And so the prayer circle started with, okay, let's pray for Bob and let's pray for whomever. And just a short, and I tell people I'm not called to do this. I don't even know. But it's happening because it's supposed to. And we put our hands in the like air. Like maybe you are. Like maybe I am. Maybe this is part of being a witness. Maybe I need to witness what they're happening and then motivate with action. But I mean, and some of the pictures that have been posted, I didn't take a lot of them, but I repost them. I'll save them to my photo file on my phone. That's how old I am. I call it a photo file. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I'll save it to my album. And... um It's amazing how many people are able to capture those moments because they mean something to them. So I was glad because I really didn't have um, any sort of way of capturing me in the red cowboy boots, (laughs) which I wear a lot now because I think that they have a meaning to people now. Uh, But it's it's been really fulfilling. And so the prayer circle is now something I do. I was at Barnes & Noble in Florida at a different location last week. I'm going to Dallas in a couple of weeks and doing different, you know, places all across the country eventually. But I've kind of been home because right after the election, we had a runoff that just ended yesterday. So it's been hard for me to, like, skip around too much. And what I realized, Guy, is that people now want to do the prayer circles. And so when they're in line, I'll do a double check, and I'll say, are we in it? And they're like, yep, we're here. Okay, let's everybody hold hand. And and one woman yelled out when I was in Florida last week. I went to the villages. She said, um, Harris is going to do her covid um You know, little announcement. (laughs) Like, people know it's coming. They know it's coming. Yeah, and I'll say. it started
3: organically, and now it's almost like a tradition.
4: I do it a couple. Like, so if we have a two-hour book signing, I'll do it once an hour. And I'll try to make sure that we wait until there are as many people congregating as possible, and then we'll do it together. And what's funny is that when we were at this Barnes & Noble, people had no idea about the book. They didn't even know me. They were like, who is this? lady in the back of the store like and, and i travel with a step and repeat <laughs> so it's like okay <laughs> what is that is this a red carpet event like what is that so but it's you know it's just a way for people to take pictures I it's a red cowboy
3: boot event is yeah is.
4: Or, yeah exactly but i'll see people coming from different parts of the street can i get in the prayer circle oh are you reading the book no ma'am I don't know anything about your book. <laughs> like,
3: yeah, well, <laughs>
4: jump on in. Yeah, maybe and, they'd
3: buy a copy after that. Yeah, but or many not. of them
4: do, but that's fine. It's, it's not, um, it's open. It's, <coughs> it's what, I think it's as you said, it's what's supposed to be. And if we ever have to go in lockdown again, can we just promise each other that we rethink that? Can we have a discussion?
3: Yeah, I think we can do that on a bunch of levels, and it's part of a conversation we have a lot on this show and on your shows as well on Fox News Channel. Faith Still Moves Mountains. Harris Faulkner, the author, national bestseller already. And as you're approaching the holiday season, we're in it, Christmas arriving soon, just something to think about uh, for stockings and Christmas trees and that sort of thing. Obviously, it's meant a lot to a lot of people already. Harris, we're up on a break. It's great to see you. you. Congratulations again on the book.
4: Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative.
3: The Guy Benson Show just getting started. We'll be right back. You're listening to the best
2: of Guy Benson.
3: I'm Guy Benson, and we're back. Really good conversation with Harris Faulkner. My plan was to do maybe half of the conversation and the segment on her book and then move on to other topics, news of the day. But I felt like that was the right conversation to be having at the right time. One of the issues that I wanted to raise, I'll just do it here, is something we've been talking about this week. President Biden went to Arizona for some sort of economic development event. And he was asked by our colleague here, Peter Ducey, on his way out the door at the White House, Hey, since you're going to a border state, are you going to go to the border? And his answer was no. Here is that exchange in case you've missed it. Cut nine.
5: Why go to a border state and not visit the border?
4: Because the more important thing going on, they're going to invest billions of dollars in a new enterprise.
3: More important things going on than going to the border. And we had Dana Perino here yesterday saying that the border crisis that he has caused. And is presiding over and making worse is a stain on his legacy, which is a pretty strong statement coming from Dana Perino. I think she's right. And relatedly, horrible news relayed by our colleague Bill Malugian earlier today. He tweeted this earlier this morning, breaking multiple federal sources tell me a 38-year-old Border Patrol agent was killed in Mission, Texas. In the Rio Grande Valley early this morning after he crashed an ATV into a gate while chasing a group of illegal immigrants at high speed. I'm told he was a father of two kids. So basically my age, young father, I would imagine young kids. Pursuing some of the illegal immigrants pouring across the border every single day in this crisis. And that man is. Now dead. His kids are without a father. Last year was the deadliest year at the border ever. Close to a 1,000 immigrants died, illegal immigrants died. There are suicides among Border Patrol agents spiking. And the President of the United States says, well, there's more important things going on down in that area, so he's not interested in going. It's a really bad look.
2: You're listening to the best of Guy Benson.
3: It's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, our podcast free every day available there and elsewhere as well. Joining us now is Sandra Smith, co-anchor of America Reports, alongside John Roberts. I'm scheduled to be on with her on set tomorrow here in New York. And Sandra, it's great to have you back and Merry Christmas.
6: I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me, and Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everybody listening, and we have you top of the show. I just had our show meeting for tomorrow. top of the show guy, Benson, All right. so get ready. All right, <laughs> I'm going to
3: roll up my sleeves, bring the A-game, 1 p.m. sharp on Fox News Channel tomorrow. So, Sandra, I want to pick your brain on the economy. We've seen a couple rocky days on Wall Street. The Fed probably going to have to fight inflation more, which hurts the economy, And I've seen a few different assessments. There are some folks talking openly about a pretty serious recession that could be coming. I've seen other CEOs on TV saying that they expect a recession, but it might be shallow or relatively mild. And then I mentioned yesterday the CEO of United Airlines says based on their data and spending uh, that they're seeing in their numbers, they don't really see a recession looming. So there's kind of all these different mixed signals out there. Obviously, people are unhappy with the economic situation right now. Inflation is still extremely painful. In order to fix that, you have to kind of contract the economy in in some ways. But what are you hearing out there in terms of what the expectation is at this point? Because it's hard for me to make sense of
6: you have to ask yourself why why we all care about that word right i mean by definition most economists agree that two straight quarters of contraction in the american economy so there are a lot of economists who believe that we're already there we had that we bounced back in the latest quarter uh, which was a good sign but there are troubling signs that are happening with us consumer uh, inflation has been pro it has been so high For a prolonged period of time, that all that savings that the American people saved up during the pandemic is getting gobbled up by that inflation. And it doesn't seem that what the Fed has done so far, raising interest rates to sort of, you know, slow down that spending, it hasn't had a great impact. So it tells you two things. It's a pretty resilient economy so far. When, you, when you're raising interest rates at the pace that the Fed has and you don't get a severe drop in retail spending and, and consumer consumption, that's a pretty resilient economy. But that can only last so long. And that is a point that Jamie Dimon, uh, J.P. Morgan CEO, just made, uh, and he made a lot of news saying that. Uh, He's saying that it is inflation, the end-all be-all, that could drag us into a recession next year. And he said it could be a, quote, hurricane, okay? So he's looking at households that that, that built up this $1.5 trillion war chest of excess savings during the pandemic and said that's great, and that's why we're still in good shape as far as the economy, but he warned that may not last much longer. And so you've got a growing number of CEOs who are sort of raising the red flag, saying that this, this can't last. And, uh, Guy, there's one measure of the economy I watch really closely, and it's this survey of CEOs, American CEOs. And there's a growing number of CEOs of major corporations who are growing more pessimistic about the American economy, and they've mm. hung in there for a long time. Even when things started to kind of look a little shaky, they still said, no, things are great. They're growing more pessimistic right now. So it's something to keep your eye on. You know, there's there's some changing consumer behaviors. Retail sales around the holiday will be very telling. We'll all be watching those numbers very closely.
3: Sandra Smith, there's another sort of related topic that is not specific to the broader economy, but it does go to, I think, people's trust in our institutions and our systems We haven't really gotten into it on this show, and I know it's pretty complicated, but this FTX scandal, the collapse at FTX, and this guy who is responsible for it, this young guy just sort of out there doing a bunch of interviews with mainstream outlets and kind of just telling his story, which I think a lot of people find not at all credible. Billions of dollars just kind of poof, disappearing. He had donated huge amounts of money to the Democrats with this fortune that was kind of, you know, an illusion in the last cycle. And then the whole thing collapsed. He's, again, zooming into various interviews and stuff. It's a very weird thing to watch. What's your overall summary of what happened there? And there's something that I want to tie it to. But let's just start with the, the basics on FTX.
6: Well, I think anybody who's seen Sam Bankman Freed give these interviews, he's he's gone on the sweeping media tour podcasts, um, be the New York Times Deal Book Summit. Um, it was remarkable to me <laughs> that he was greeted by applause guy. Yeah. Um, I mean it's really hard to believe, but anybody who's, you know, sort of seen videos of him and um, you know, gained a little knowledge about his background, you kinda think, Why did not more people not warm about what may not actually be happening. I mean, let's be clear. He's saying he's going to testify before Congress when he's ready. Why is why is that not happening today? He's saying that he wants to learn and review the events that caused this cryptocurrency exchange to file for bankruptcy <laughs> last month. Everyone, everyone can look at this and tell you exactly what happened. He built investors out of billions. He said, I'll take your money. Okay. He leveraged the money and misled investors about what he was doing with their money. It went away. And now those customers are out all of those funds. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at at it, the collapse of Enron, the Ponzi scheme of Bernie Madoff. But he was telling investors he was doing one thing and he was doing something completely else. He should testify before Congress. He should be under oath. It's easier for him to go on these media tours, guy, and, 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 and give false information about what he did or did not know. It's another thing to be under oath and testify before Congress. I don't understand why that is not happening today.
3: I don't either. And part of the answer might be some of the people supposed to be, or who are supposed to be, or tasked with overseeing some of this stuff, were asleep at the switch, perhaps because they were very happy that he was funding their campaigns and their party. Right? That's part of this, right? I mean, there was like practically a love letter sent by Maxine Waters to the guy. This is after the extent of the fraud has become obvious. And, you know, if you're going to fill politicians' coffers for a while, I mean, this is kind of the swampy stuff, almost to an exaggerated cartoonish level, that people absolutely hate.
6: And then to sit before that audience at the New York Times like he was some sort of genius where something just sort of went wrong. <laughs> like,
3: yeah, something happened to him.
6: You know, Terry Duffy is the chairman and CEO of the world's largest rampant exchange, the, the CME Group. It's sort of the combined Chicago Board of Trade, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, if you will. He apparently raised the red flag on this back in March to his face, called him a fraud, and then I don't know if you saw this on Tucker Carlson last week, but they went and pulled the tape of Terry Duffy, at, in a hearing on Capitol Hill, telling lawmakers this guy was a fraud and being challenged by by Democrat from California, Ro Khanna. I mean, it, you can play the tape. Um, there were Democrats coming to his defense, and you have to ask yourself why.
3: Hmm. Well, and I think you can sort of follow the money. Money's now disappeared, of course, but at the time it was a lot of cash flowing to the Democrats. Now, this guy says he also donated dark money to the Republicans. Um, I would like that fact check. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't trust this person implicitly uh, because it seems like there's a lot of lies being told right now, but it is a fascinating and bizarre story. And here's what I'll tie it to, Sandra, another news item that affects a lot more people which is this item from FoxNews.com earlier, Americans warned about looming IRS audits of Venmo payments. Quote, they're targeting you. So we think back to the Inflation Reduction Act, a total misnomer that was going to do nothing of the sort. Even Bernie Sanders admitted that. There was a huge doubling of the size of the IRS. And what Democrats said, and the IRS is sort of allies in this, Democrats and the IRS, they said, no, no, don't worry. Uh, It's really only going to be the rich and and those awful corporations. Average people don't have to worry about this in terms of tax increases or in terms of oversight from this newly, you know, muscular on steroids IRS. And there were all sorts of indications that that wouldn't be true. History as a guide shows that that is not true. The IRS comes looking through people's couch cushions at much lower levels of income because that's where they get a lot of the money that they feel like they're owed. And now if you're involved in transactions of just, what, five, dollars $600, that's now eligible for this new threshold that they've lowered for the IRS to come looking at with all these new agents that they've hired. And people maybe paying each other, reimbursing each other on Venmo or whatever. Now they have to think about this. And I just think taking a step back sandra obviously this is going to impact middle class people working class people folks who are just trying to live their lives the irs is going to be a lot more readily uh, available to and empowered to sniff around through their finances at much lower you know dollar amounts that have nothing to do with millionaires or billionaires these are just like average people and i think people might resent it because they were told the opposite they were lied to by a bunch of politicians who were evidently just sort of MIA while FTX was disappearing, whatever it was, hundreds of millions, more than a billion dollars, uh, with almost no oversight because he was greasing the right skids, it would seem. But here comes the IRS into their virtual pocketbook at relatively low dollar amounts. It just seems like there's a mismatch there on priorities, maybe to put it politely
6: yeah and not to mention this could also increase audits, which would also um, you know this would affect mostly the lower to middle in class american um just to to give people the background on this this was these were changes to the u s tax code under the American Rescue Act. it was passed back in march of twenty twenty one and what used to be guy was these payment apps were previously required to send users a 1099K form if their income was over $20,000 or if they had 200 separate transactions in a calendar year. So now the change is that Americans will have a 1099K form for any Six hundred dollar transaction using online platforms. So as Trevor Norquist put it, he said uh, he said we were promised this time that the tax bill was going only after the super rich. No, six hundred dollars. They're targeting you and me and anyone else who is online. So this is a direct contradiction. And by the way, just to to
3: jump in, that was the American Rescue Plan, really the first thing that the Democrats did under Joe Biden. And then my reference to the Inflation Reduction Act, that was the doubling of the IRA that gives the government really the enforcement teeth to come after this stuff, right? They're not interested in enforcing laws at the border, for instance, but they are really ramping up the IRS to come enforce this money grab from a lot of Americans who absolutely do not even come close to the category of the millionaires and billionaires that they talk about in their, their talking points.
6: No, you're exactly right. And and it's a direct contradiction to what this administration has told Americans all along, that no one making under $400,000 a year would see their taxes go up, that they were only going after the ultra-wealthy. When you look at the folks that do engage in transactions of these amounts, this directly targets small businesses, middle-class Americans, um, and so the administration and the Democratic Party needs to be challenged on that because this is going to um, adversely affect affect a lot of Americans. These changes
3: to the to the tax code. Yep, and you know I hate to say we told you so, but we told you so, right? They had their you know pointers on their memos, and they said they are normal things that they always repeat mantras over and over again about their policies and who it will affect and who it won't, and we said it's just not true look at this information and now it is playing out exactly the way that we warned about because they wrote it down in the law. That's the thing. Like it was all right there. It was what they wrote in their laws that they pass along party lines, Democrats only. And then their spin was like just their assurances that what they had written down in the actual law wasn't really what people should be worried about. And it's sort of being misrepresented or whatever. But It is what it is. The words say what they say. They mean what they mean. And it's going to be, I think, probably an unhappy awakening for a lot of Americans from a lot of different income groups in the months and years to come. Uh, and, And you look at that scrutiny of people's transactions at very low levels versus the lack of scrutiny and the hosannas and the cheering of a gigantic historic fraud when the guy was basically just saying, oh, don't worry, I'm doing a bunch of woke stuff and donating to Democrats. I think that juxtaposition is pretty powerful and kind of speaks for itself. And with that, we'll leave it there because we're up on a break. Sandra Smith, co-anchor of America Reports on Fox News Channel every day, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, FNC. And I'll be joining top of the show tomorrow in studio with Sandra here in New York. Looking forward to that. Sandra, always enjoy it. Thank you.
6: Thanks so much, Guy. Take care.
3: We'll be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show.
2: You're listening to the best of Guy Benson.
3: Back on The Guy Benson Show, quick roundup of some news today. China and the CCP scrapping a lot of their COVID-19 mandates and requirements after all these huge protests. They might be under some financial pressure as well. So that's an interesting development. We'll see if it lasts. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., lawmakers say they've reached an agreement to rescind the military's COVID-19 vaccine mandate in a deal involving the defense spending bill which we've been talking about here on the show, it seems sort of crazy to have that to be effectively firing troops and turning away recruits when we're already having a recruitment problem. The White House blasting these lawmakers for that, saying it's a mistake. All right, I mean, scientist John Kirby weighing in there, I guess. But it seems like that is happening. Another story, since we're here in New York, just want to keep the spotlight on this ongoing issue, anti-Semitism, NYPD reporting 45 different anti-Semitic hate crimes just in the month of November alone against Jewish people in this city. The biggest city in the United States of America. More than one a day anti-Semitic hate crimes last month alone. It's a real problem. And at least this strain of anti-Semitism is not right-wing anti-Semitism for the most part in this country. Or in this city, rather. Maybe in some other places, but sometimes the fringes unite in their Jew hatred, and it's really disgusting. And they need to take it very seriously here in New York and elsewhere. Lastly, you might have seen this, Time magazine put out their list of contenders for the person of the year, which is an annual tradition dating back decades. And there were some interesting people in the mix, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, was one of the potential nominees. I saw the Supreme Court was on the list because they had a couple really big decisions, including the Dobbs decision on abortion. Were they the people of the year? The Iranian protesters, collectively, that was one of the nominees to be time person of the year. There were a few other options. I think they put out 10 options or so, and the person that they picked— is vladimir zelensky the president of ukraine i know there's some cynicism among some americans about zelensky and all the celebrities who go to see him and all of that and some people question why we're funding the ukrainians i support funding the ukrainians i don't want to send u.s troops over there but the russians invaded them they are bravely fighting for their country And their sovereignty against a bad enemy, and they're winning so far against all of those odds. And Zelensky has been a rock. He's shown real grit and courage, refusing to leave the capital city, for example, while it was being bombarded. I think he deserves it. So congratulations to him, and I hope that he and the Ukrainians prevail. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show coming up.
2: Most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk, fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. You're listening to the best of Guy Benson.
3: So bye-bye soccer. I flipped the channel straight over to American football. Big 12 championship game. Lots of excitement there. The playoff is now set. And that's the football that we will be focused on here when we talk sports on the Guy Benson Show. We had the games on, the SEC championship game, then the Big Ten championship game, won by Georgia and Michigan respectively on Saturday evening. And Georgia and Michigan will be one and two in the top four playoff, rounded out by TCU and Ohio State. Both of those games were on in the background at our Christmas party over the weekend. We told you about it repeatedly on the show we were building up to the big party annual tradition this was by far our biggest one ever it was right on the verge at its peak i would say right around 10 p.m at its peak it was on the verge of being too crowded a few more people if they had shown up i would have said okay that's too much but we kept it just beneath that threshold had a great time We love seeing so many people. Some friends of mine, surprised me, they came in from out of town, Mitch and Carolyn. I just had a fabulous night. It's a lot. It is definitely a bit of a blowout bash, but we love it that way, and we are just so happy that so many people came and had a great time, including producer Christine, her husband Bobby, and Quiet Wyatt. They were all there for a good long period of time, although they showed up later than I was expecting. And apparently there's a whole series of stories about producer Christine's evening before the party, perhaps even after the party. And I haven't heard some of these stories. I know there was something involving her purse that she alleged had been stolen. Spoiler alert, it had not. And a few other things. And we're going to get into perhaps some of those details from Wyatt and maybe Christine, who's a less reliable source, I would say, on this, given she's sort of the subject of some of the stories and controversies and drama, but we can't get to that today. We will try to get to that tomorrow or later in the week. We should start making a list of stuff that we need to address in these home stretch segments this week, because from what I understand, there's a lot to unpack. What we need to do today is talk about a mystery that has arisen from the Christmas party. And so for now, just for the moment, The Guy Benson Show is going to become a true crime podcast, Dan. It was late on Saturday night when a very disturbing development was brought to my attention as the party was winding down. Unlike last year, it seemed, we had avoided a major catastrophic red wine spill on one of our white couches, although there had been other spills, apparently, I found out later. And then... At the very last minute, when I thought we were in the clear, boom, a big, you might even say blood red stain was pointed out on a very strange portion of one of our couches. How did it get there? Who done it? That is the subject of intense dispute, disagreement, finger pointing, fear, frankly. Adam, my husband, posted on his Instagram stories a reference to this mystery, and then the responses from partygoers started flowing in. People accusing other people, people claiming innocence, people trying to help us get to the bottom of what happened on that fateful evening. Now, it's interesting. On the drive in today, I called my best friend, Mary Catherine Ham, who was at the party. She did, in fact, have some red wine. I saw it. But she is also eight plus months pregnant. She said, feel free to put me on your list of possible suspects since I was a sitting on the couch and b drinking red wine. She said, but as you know, I drank very little red wine because I'm pregnant. One glass. She said, I would not waste my single glass of wine on a spill. I said, okay, yeah, that makes sense. There are a number of persons of interest, you might say, in this saga. One of them is a name well known to many of you. In fact, she and I will be on the panel tonight together on Brett Bayer. Maybe I'll confront her. Katie Pavlich was in the vicinity. And perhaps quite incriminatingly, had some red wine stains on her white outfit. A spill had happened. Was it her? Now, we got a text message from Katie Pavlich later that evening informing us that a spill had happened, that some people might think it was her, but in fact that it was not her. On one hand, I trust Katie Pavlich implicitly. She tells the truth. She does not mess around. She is an honest, trustworthy person. So my inclination is to believe her. On the other hand, could this be a smelt it, dealt it situation where she was sort of admitting that she knew about something but disclaiming any further culpability? Perhaps. Another person of interest, I'm just going to throw this out there, is my very own husband, Adam. Oh, Now, why do I say that? Adam, famously within our house, does not like our couch. He talks a lot about having to replace that couch. I don't want to do it. I like the couch. Couches are expensive. I don't want to spend the money. He whines about the couch, I would say, at least on a monthly basis. What better excuse than to ruin it further with a big red wine stain To prove yet again that it's time to upgrade the couch and maybe get a different color. He had motive. He had means. But did he have opportunity? As it turns out, and I have since confirmed this. He was already asleep by the time the spill occurred. You see, he had a flight the next morning early. Tactical mistake, by the way. You're throwing a huge party. You got a flight to go to work the next day? Hmm. Glad that wasn't me. I was up far too late because of cat Timph. Another story added to the list, Wyatt, for later in the week. The cat Timph effect. She is a bad influence, actually, in some ways. A great and awful influence at the same time. But apparently, by the time the crime occurred, Adam was asleep in bed. So he has. An alibi. Which brings us to another person of interest. You might even call her the prime suspect. Producer Cookie Christine. We will confront her right after this break.
2: You're listening to the best of Guy Benson.
3: We are back, it's an extended home stretch, true crime edition here on the Guy Benson Show, as we are trying to get to the bottom of an outrageous red wine spill. And as I said before the break, we have someone in our sights, and it's producer Christine.
5: I uh, during this time of season, I like to go buy a Christmas cookie, please.
3: You can identify however you'd like, Christine, but here at the Guy Benson Show True Crime Podcast. We don't really cater to the whims of our suspects. Now, here's the thing. Christine, by the end of the party, how can I put this? Christine was feeling no pain. She was pretty, pretty happy to the point that it took several of us quite a few minutes of cajoling to get her out and then to pour her into the Uber with Bobby to head back to the hotel. She had a very lovely time, had made the rounds chatting with everyone. She was a hit with some of my friends. who are like, now, who is that person again? Is that your producer? Do you work with her? She was having fun. I'm like, oh, I don't doubt it. And she and I chatted a little bit, mostly earlier in the evening upon her arrival, and then again at the very end when we were trying to basically lure her out of the house because it was well past time for her to start to sleep it off and maybe get some water into the system, for example. And I would not have... Guess that Christine would be on the list of possible suspects here. I mean, in fairness, yes, I probably would have. But I did not see her on the couch over the course of the evening. She was usually standing, often out in the tent on the back patio. So I'm not sure if she was in the vicinity, so to speak. However, I learned something very interesting over the course of my investigations. Wyatt, maybe you can help me with this. Is it true that producer Christine was responsible for multiple spills of red wine over the course of the evening, including one on my husband and another on the aforementioned Katie Pavlich? Wyatt, is this true? Did Christine spill
7: twice on people? Um. My inclination is just to plead the fifth. but No, this is – that's the amendment that allows
3: you to avoid self-incrimination. I'm not asking you about you. I'm asking you about someone else as a direct eyewitness, and the witness will answer the question.
7: There were multiple spilling of the wine by a certain someone. Mm. But all that I can remember was only on a person once – then on a surface that was not the couch, I can confirm, was not the couch, but was on another surface. So, Okay. So,
3: Christine, allow- what is your Am recollection? Am I allowed to
5: jump in here? Because I actually do have all recollection of this.
3: Oh, I doubt that very much. But please plead your case.
5: I did spill some of—I bumped into Wyatt near the Christmas tree, and wine did spill. I immediately, and Wyatt can confirm, went over, got paper towel, and cleaned the spill up. Is that correct, Wyatt?
7: Can confirm that did indeed happen.
5: I also went to take a picture or put my arm around your husband, and there might have been a little spillage. It was not red wine at that point. I think I had white wine because I remember patting him down with more paper towel and showing him, look, it's not red wine. It's just white wine.
7: Wyatt? Christine, I from my knowledge of my recollection recollections, that was indeed red wine.
5: Okay. Wow. Okay.
3: Wow. Um, So that is a that is just a false memory that she shared. Or you might even call it a lie. What other stories and fables do you have for us, Christine?
5: I also remember that. After the spillage of the red wine on the floor and I cleaned it up, I looked at Bobby and I said, it's time to go home. And he goes, yep. And he called an Uber. And I can confirm that I was out of your house by 11.35 p.m. That is when the Uber picked us up.
3: What about the Katie Pavlich spill?
5: I— The only thing I asked Bobby about this and he said, I didn't know you spilled on her. He's like, I thought you she had a drink down on the table. And I thought as we were leaving, you grabbed it to take a sip. And we all said to you, that's not your drink. Like I was trying to take her drink. So maybe when I put it down, I have no recollection of spilling anything. And if I did— Because she had
3: this beautiful white top. Yeah, so and, I would like to
5: text her right now and apologize because if I did, that's crazy because I remember she had such a gorgeous—she looked beautiful, stunning.
3: Yeah, so it she, looked like someone had stabbed her by the end. Really? And it turns out that that was you.
5: So allegedly. she confirmed that. She said that I spilled on her.
3: I shall quote from the text message. When I got up to leave, I noticed there was a wine spill on your couch. It looked like it was me because I was the last person sitting there, but I assure you I did not spill on your couch. Either way, it looked like I did the crime. It looked really bad, but I'm pleading not guilty. I think your neighbors thought it was me since my shirt had wine all over it from Christine earlier in the night. End quote. That's from Katie Pavlich. Another, what, Gap in your memory, Christine.
5: Earlier in the night, I didn't even get there until like almost eight thirty, nine o'clock. I remember saying hello. Still hours. Yeah, there was. We were there. I don't know. I just wrote to her because I feel terrible, and I would like to pay for her dry cleaning. I'm not. Listen, if I make a mistake with alcohol, I am the first to fess up to it. I'm the first to offer to. Clean or make amends. So I just offered to pay. For All right. So let me trading. ask
3: you directly then, producer Cookie Christine. Do you deny spilling the wine on the couch?
5: I one hundred ninety nine point nine 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 whatever percent deny spilling wine on the couch. Elsewhere, yes.
3: Wait, did you just downgrade from one hundred percent to ninety nine point nine nine percent? Is that what you just did?
5: Yeah. Well, you always have to just be careful when one is inebriated. <laughs> I've learned so my you're lesson. Leaving
3: open, you're leaving open just a fractional possibility that you did do it. I have despite to Despite your vociferous denial.
5: Put aside money just in case I have to pay you, yes. Well, we're going to continue. really feel comfortable with Wyatt because I really didn't leave Wyatt's side much of the night. So I really feel comfortable um, putting out there. that I could have possibly spilled on Katie and I feel awful. I definitely spilled on the floor. Clean that up. Don't think I ever spilled on the couch. Oh, yeah, yeah, spilled on Adam. Yep, yep.
3: What you spilled on Adam. So there was a lot of spilling going on. Now, could this be Christine admitting, confessing, if you will, to a number of smaller crimes in order to deny the larger crime as a deflection, as a strategy? That is what criminals sometimes do. I know this because I watch Law & Order and other shows, and I listened to Serial back when that was a big thing. So I don't know. We are going to continue to investigate this matter aggressively. We take crimes like this extremely seriously here at the Guy Benson Show. And I'm actually being told we have an update in real time. Christine, what do you have?
5: I do. I guess it's true. We can confirm. I did spill wine on poor Katie and her beautiful outfit. So I wrote and I said, I would like to send you a Venmo for the dry cleaning. She's very sweet, and she said, oh, my God, please don't worry about it. It's all good. It was so great to see you. Always such a fun time.
3: All right, so that's lovely, very classy, high road from Katie. And the fact that you did not remember doing that and also got another crucial detail wrong about spilling on Adam and did not 100% deny the couch spill, I think you are still a person of interest, if not the prime suspect. But this requires more scrutiny, and it will get it. So to be continued. That concludes today's episode of the Guy Benson show. Home stretch. Christmas time here on the Guy Benson show. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. Guybensonshow.com is our website. Podcast free every single day on demand. No charge to you. Up here in New York for the rest of the week, lots of TV duties ahead. Gutfeld, America's Newsroom, America Reports, Kudlow, Kennedy, Martha McCallum, all on the calendar between now and Friday. So we will try to keep you posted on those various appearances as the week unfolds. More importantly, we have to get back to a topic that we broached yesterday in an extra special extended homestretch, where we have turned the Guy Benson show into a true crime, truth-seeking exercise. In case you missed part one of The Spill yesterday, here's part of what you missed. This holiday season, one Christmas party was changed forever. When I thought we were in the clear, boom, a big red stain on a very strange portion of one of our couches. Many suspects, one
7: witness. There were multiple spilling of the wine by a certain someone.
8: This is a prepaid call from Christmas Covey. An inmate at the county correctional facility. It wasn't me. I didn't do it.
2: Who can you believe? From the team that brought you sloshing around the Christmas tree. The Guy Benson Show original. The
3: Spill. So good. Props to Dan, our engineer, for putting that together. Christine being in county lockup for this crime is my favorite part by far. It's so good. I sent that last night to some friends. People were dying. So I sent the link of yesterday's homestretch to a lot of people who were at the party. Adam, my husband, put it on his social media as well. We have gotten a huge amount of feedback from people who were there, people who were at the party. I will tell you that I've heard from producer Christine badgering me for updates. I have, of course, stonewalled and stiff-armed those requests because we will not comment on the progress of an ongoing investigation. Wouldn't be prudent. Also, I did personally witness, witness tampering. Producer Christine making threats of Quiet Wyatt, who was one of the witnesses to this whole situation. Having previously threatened him, I believe, last week, suggesting that if he told me something unrelated to this particular crime, the red wine spill on our white couch at the Christmas party, this was something else, if he told me something, he would end up where Carousel did, at a garbage dump in Staten Island. Dead. As we all know, Christine was responsible for that, even as a child, which is kind of blood-curdling. So Christine is in detention right now. As the prime suspect, I'm not sure if she's been charged yet with this felony. This late-night wine spill on our couch at this party, following a series of other spills involving wine over the course of the evening that we addressed yesterday... I will give you a few updates because my investigations continued last night and also today. More text messages, more DMs on social media from friends who were there, people who thought they saw something. And this is very much a see something, say something scenario. Like my messages are open if you have information that could lead to the conviction of the person responsible for this. My next-door neighbor, in fact, tantalizingly, having listened to the entire home stretch yesterday, texted Adam and me saying that he has very important information about what happened, but will not divulge that information because, effectively, snitches get stitches. Apparently, he knows what happened to Carousel. He doesn't want to end up where she ended up. So there is someone who lives right near me who knows, I think, what happened but won't say out of fear, out of fear, which gives you a sense, I think, of how ruthless the offender must be. I also learned something very interesting because on our show planning call earlier, I guess Christine was able to join from lockup. She said that she might not ever again come to one of our Christmas parties. She might boycott the Christmas parties from now on because of all of these accusations. She said to me that I'm supposed to be her best friend, and yet I'm treating her at best as a person of interest, if not the prime suspect in this matter. And I said, well, am I really your best friend? Because I received yet another note from another attendee at the party who said that Christine told her that she was now her new best friend at the party. And Christine said, in fact, that did happen, but she does not remember the name, identity, or even really the appearance of that person. But she did remember making a new best friend. So, Christine, would you like to comment on any of this so far, including this somewhat mysterious new best friend of yours?
5: I just remember she was just a blast and I really would like if now that I know that you know who it is to give me her information because we decided that we were going to be best friends that night and I would like to start the relationship but
3: shouldn't I give her instead one of the business cards that Bobby had printed up where you do things drunkenly and then he hands people a business card saying all of the plans and promises are null and void because my wife won't remember this I feel like that's what probably needs to go to this young woman
5: but I didn't I made a lifetime commitment I didn't just make a plan. And also, I have to tell you, I had brought one of those cards with me because I brought a bottle of champagne as a a great guest that I am. And I was planning on putting that, taping it to the box, and I completely forgot.
3: You forgot about it. Or did you have to give it out earlier in the night to the other best friends that you made in your Uber, at the restaurant? Apparently, you were (laughs) uh, really a gal out on the town before the party.
5: You know, Mama needed to let loose. <laughs> mm,
3: you no, know, mama, mama did. I do want to reveal something. This is one of those true crime reveals. A little twist and turn. The young woman that you made new best friends with on Saturday night in her messages to me did speak highly of you, did say that she enjoyed her time chatting with you immensely, does want to be in touch, but also leveled an accusation. Oh,
5: no, bestie.
3: Guess who else you spilled on on Saturday spilled night? On her? Yes, you did.
5: That's, that's very possible.
3: She was wearing definitely... red, so yes, she said it I... wasn't too bad, but you spilled red wine on her. So I believe this is now the fourth documented spill that you personally are responsible for. However, with that being said, Those were all misdemeanors. The point of this investigation is to bring to justice the person responsible for the felony of the huge spill on the couch cushion. And Christine, I must inform you that I am officially clearing you of this crime.
7: I knew it! (laughs) I've never been so happy. (laughs) You are not guilty.
3: And part of the reason I know that you're not guilty, tragically actually is that your alibi is basically the same as my husband's, which is when the spill happened, you were already gone. And I got a screenshot of your Uber with a timestamp of when we poured you into that car and sent you on your way. It was based on our timeline that we have put together extensively and very thoroughly here. It was before the felony occurred. So guilty on multiple misdemeanor charges of spillage, but not on this one. And therefore, number one, Christine, you're off the hook for the felony. And then secondly, this is now officially an unsolved mystery. But I do want to say this. Someone is out there who did this, and I would like to appeal directly to to the offender. You know who you are. You know that you did this. You know that you had a nice time at the party, things got out of control, and you did something that you didn't mean to do. I need you to turn yourself in. I need you to confess. I will let you know, I will have everyone know that we very quickly, thanks to the fast action of a number of our party goers, got the cushion cover, off the couch, into the washing machine, since dried, and it looks good as new. The stain is gone. This is not a permanent, does not have to be a permanent stain on your record. And I'm allowing a brief period of amnesty. If you would like to come and confess, all will be forgiven, but you need to come forward because at some point, someone saw something, and we will find out. And there will be consequences unless you come to us first. Privately, text message, DM, your choice. But the clock starts now. This unsolved mystery needs to be solved, preferably by you. If not, we will continue down this path, pursuing this mission until justice is done. And with that, Christine, I would love to get your reaction to your vindication. As as we have now sent someone to county jail to come release you we've we've now told the relevant local authorities that they got the wrong cookie
5: well i just would like to thank my fellow inmates who now are all my new besties um i decided to have my own holiday party with those ladies because they were defending me the entire time what
3: is this like orange is the new black season eight
5: (laughs) could you imagine i I feel like i would do well in prison i'm not even joking here i feel like i actually would do well in prison what do you think
3: I, I guess that's a whole other topic. That is a very different topic, and I don't necessarily agree. But maybe we can all find out.
5: No, nope, no, nope, like nope. we could all
3: get a little respite. Bobby could get a breather. You get three square meals a day. You know, I mean, it's it's something to consider. But anyway, go on.
5: Uh, I need the contact of my new best friend. Because A, I got to apologize. She was wearing a beautiful, I remember it was like a red velvet outfit. It was really, mm-hmm. really It's really all coming
3: nice. back to you now.
5: Yeah, it's all. And here's the thing. This is what I want to do. A, your neighbor, love that person. That they would not even snitch, even if they know. So love that. But here's the one thing. I'm going to defend the spiller. Because guess what, guy? The spiller may not know they're the spiller.
3: Do you get what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I do, but I think they know. I think if you spill probably a full glass of red wine on a white couch, you know that that happened. You remembered at least half of your spills. You forgot about one of them completely. You misremembered another one. I've now reminded you of yet another one, which you're now, I guess, suddenly recalling. I mean, of course you're going to defend a spiller because you yourself are a serial spiller, as it turns out, just not the one that this— true crime mystery is about.
5: Right. And I'm going to leave you with this. If you only had vodka there, none of this would have been a problem.
3: Well, I'm going to tell you this and now I'll leave you with this because of what happened. And also some other red wine stains on another rug on our main floor. Adam and I are having a very serious conversation now about ceasing all service of red wine at future parties.
5: I think it's a good idea. White honestly. wine,
3: bubbly, Clear liquors, that's it. No red wine. I don't know. I like red wine so much, especially around Christmas time. I'm not sure I'm pulling the trigger, but we're at least thinking about it because we've had back to back incidents, multiple incidents, over the last two years. So it's something that is now under consideration. Are you gonna continue following through with this threat to never come again to a Christmas party or are you back I, in the phone?
5: I, I think that I'm actually gonna have my own Christmas holiday party on the same day.
3: That could solve a lot of problems actually. <laughs> Can I get that in writing?
5: Wyatt and Dan, you make your choice. You oh, make I, your choice now.
3: I think that's an easy choice. I think that's a very easy choice. Unless they're scared of someone who has been supposedly vindicated, allegedly innocent, but ruthless and potentially combustible nevertheless. I feel now, so good
5: right now. I feel so good right now of something I knew. Now I know how, I know how innocent people feel when they're wrongly convicted It is a horrible feeling.
3: Well, you were just wrongly accused. I think understandably and plausibly accused in this case, but it turns out wrongly accused of this. The search goes on, but don't let this feeling sink in too much because later in the week we are going to discuss other elements of your evening that have not been talked about yet on the air. I know Wyatt is very eager to do that, and we will, but not tonight because we are out of time. Back here tomorrow, same time, same place, on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. Merry Christmas. Have a great night. And, Christine, enjoy your newfound freedom. It is our final hour here on The Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday, the happy hour sponsored by our friends at The finished Long Drink, thelongdrink.com. For more information, always drink responsibly, 21-plus only. Our website here, guybensonshow.com. Podcast is always free on demand. Guybensonshow.com, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining me now is Dr. Condoleezza Rice, who served from 2005 to 2009 as the 66th Secretary of State of the United States of America under President Bush, She is now the director of the Hoover Institution, where we're broadcasting from, a senior fellow here as well. She's authored numerous books, most recently To Build a Better World, Choices to End the Cold War, and Create a Global Commonwealth. Madam Secretary, it's great to see you again.
1: It's great to see you, too. Thanks for having me on.
3: It's my pleasure. So we've had the privilege of broadcasting from Hoover now three or four times. It's always great to be back here. Since our last visit, you became director of Hoover. If you would just reflect briefly on why this place matters why it's special and what it means to you to be helming this institution
1: it matters a lot to have a place that is dedicated to the mission that uh, herbert hoover set out for us it was to improve the human condition uh, through an understanding of the importance of free markets and private enterprise limited government and individual liberty and that's still at the core of what makes a great democracy and so here at Hoover, we work on the problems that are confronting that great democracy, whether they be problems abroad, like uh, how to deal with a rising China, uh, how to leverage a relationship with uh, India, uh, or problems here at home, how to make sure that every child has a K-12 education that is worthy of the name education, and increasingly uh issues of state and local governance and for us technology and governance we sit in the silicon valley and we think we have some things to say about that but the thing i'm most excited about is that we've just created a new center for the revitalization of american institutions because these great institutions that we were bequeathed by our founders have served us well but they're under attack from people who say that they're not worthy because they were born of slavery uh, to people who say they're not worthy because they only serve elites and uh, we believe that uh Yes, these institutions may need reform, they may need revitalization, but they are precious. And here at Hoover, we want to find a better way to defend them.
3: One of those institutions is the Department of State, which you led under President Bush. I saw over the summer some advertisements for a master class that you taught with a previous Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, who passed away earlier this year. I did want to take the opportunity to ask you just about your relationship with her across party lines and her legacy, because it's got to be pretty cool to have forged that relationship as two female secretaries of state, albeit from opposite sides of the political spectrum.
1: And that relationship uh, goes back a long time because Madeline's father was the person who saved a failed piano major and taught her international (laughs) politics at the University of Denver. What a small world. Very small world. And I remember when he said, I have this daughter you have to meet. Her name's Madeline. And so we finally did meet. Madeline uh, was really just a fierce fighter for the values that we espouse, for liberty for all, for uh, standing up to tyranny. Uh, She's maybe best known for her decision that we had to find a way to help intervene in the civil war that was taking place in the Balkans uh, in the 90s. Uh, but Madeleine was just somebody who believed in these values. She fought for them. She was uh, fierce as they come. And uh, I miss her. She was also a very, very good friend.
3: Let's talk about Russia and Ukraine. And Russia analysis is sort of in the sweet spot of your wheelhouse. So where does this go from here? I know nobody has a crystal ball. You can't possibly predict the future. But you know a fair amount about Vladimir Putin. You've been watching this war develop a two-part question what comes next in your view and secondly what should the United States government be doing in the West broadly and not doing
1: well let me go to the last part of that first uh, we are doing the right things I might have done them a little bit earlier with a little bit more speed but uh, but when uh, people are willing to stand up for their national heritage for the values of of liberty and uh, for the sovereignty which by the way we help to guarantee when the Ukrainians uh, gave up their nuclear weapons at the time of the collapse of the Soviet Union, Uh, when we believe in a rules-based international order uh, where large countries don't simply decide to make smaller countries extinct, which is what Vladimir Putin is doing, uh, we have to support them. And I fully support the military assistance we're giving them. Uh, We've really been uh, helping to train them since the end of the Crimean uh, events in 2014. The military of the Ukraine is turning out to be quite effective, and we need to keep supporting them. Now, what should we not to. I hear a lot of people talking about off-ramps for Vladimir Putin. Well, it's Vladimir Putin who keeps shutting off the off-ramps. Uh, you don't annex your, uh, legally annex your, uh, illegally annex your neighbor's territory and then want to negotiate. So uh, Vladimir Putin, who got himself into a war that he thought was going to be easy, now has to mobilize uh, young men in Russia to fight this war. They're fleeing the country rather than fight. They, they, I read that one of the most searched uh, elements, articles on, uh, on on the equivalent of Google, is how do I break my own arm? That says something about who's willing to fight in this. And I want to say one thing about the, the big threat that everybody talks about, the nuclear threat. That was my From next Vladimir question. Putin, yes. I, I can't say that the chances are zero. I probably would have said that months ago. Maybe it's 10%. That's pretty scary. But you can't self-deter under these circumstances. And you just have to keep reminding Vladimir Putin that to use a tactical nuclear weapon, which would have no battlefield value really for him, his military is doing poorly uh, not because they don't have tactical nuclear weapons, but because they are badly trained, badly equipped, the logistics is terrible, and they have low morale. He's not going to fix that with a tactical nuclear weapon. Secondly, I'd say to him, winds blow east. Uh, You're going to contaminate your own country. And finally, you really will be a pariah forever. And so I think telling him that there would be catastrophic consequences, not defining them is the right way to deal with this. And so don't try to push the Ukrainians into some kind of negotiation. Give them the upper hand on the ground first. And then if Putin, realizing that he's losing this war, wants to negotiate, they go to the table uh, in the strongest position.
3: He has been wielding energy as a weapon, obviously trying to leverage europe and blackmail them in some ways bully them on the broader question of energy opec making the announcement earlier that they're going to curtail the production moving forward here which of oil which obviously is a huge deal has implications abroad geopolitically also here at home as we look at domestic Mm -hmm. energy production and consumption what do you make of that move i know everyone's analyzing it through the very near-term prism of the midterm elections fine it goes much broader than that, doesn't it?
1: It does. If, if ever we had a wake-up call about the need to fully develop the North American platform from Canada to Mexico through the United States, the gift that it is to be able to be energy-self-sufficient and, oh, by the way, uh, to produce enough energy to export to uh, to other countries. If ever we needed a wake-up call, Vladimir Putin has given it to us, and uh, there's a second jingling of that call by what OPEC has done. Um, I, I have to say I've always known the Saudis to do what they need to do for their budget, so I wouldn't read much into this from the point of view of the Ukrainian events. I think this is really the Saudis saying, here's where the price of oil needs to be for us to do what we need to do. Do you really want to be dependent on the Saudis in that way? Do you really want to be dependent on the Russians and the Iranians? Or would you rather have U.S. be the source of those hydrocarbons? I know everybody who believes that climate change is a problem, and I do believe that it's a problem, uh, wants to get as, as, um, as much as we can to a cleaner set of sources of energy. That would be called natural gas. And it would also say that that transition is going to take some time. You're not going to be uh, able to get uh, rid of hydrocarbons in the near term. I would rather those hydrocarbons come from the United States and stable places like this. And you can't send mixed signals to the producers of oil and gas who have long-tail investments. I was a Chevron director in the 90s. The investments that these companies have to make are long-tail investments. So don't tell them, well, produce for seven years, and then we're going to move on to renewables. They have to have some predictability. And
3: And by the way, you're greedy right now, and we want to put you out of business, but produce, produce, produce. But
1: produce, produce, produce. And oh, by the way, we've given you leases, but not permitting. So the energy policy uh, is, I think, the core of where we have to go if we want to have both a sensible energy policy and energy security.
3: Madam Secretary, in your first answer, you referenced a rising China. Let's talk about China and that challenge for a moment. I'm sure you get many questions about Iraq and the legacy of Iraq and the Bush administration and the decisions made leading up to that war. I wonder if you get as many questions about the Bush administration's policy vis-a-vis China. And it's not really unique only to Bush. It's numerous administrations across both parties that I think some critics would say now were perhaps too sanguine about China's intentions and what their designs were. Based on what you know now, what you're looking at now, looking back on your time as Secretary of State, what do you think your administration and others got right about China and maybe not right?
1: I would just say, what was the alternative? Uh, was the alternative to try and isolate 1.4 billion people with an economy that was growing rapidly? Uh, yes, we, we and others before us uh, took a chance after Deng Xiaoping. And that was the view that if you could integrate China into the international economy, the international economy would grow as a result, which by the way, it did. It did. And uh, you would it began to to change the nature of Chinese uh, policy. I never was one who believed you were going to democratize China as a result of, result of this, but I did expect that they would respect uh, intellectual property. I did expect that they would be uh, that their markets would be more open, and we fought for that every single day. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with Hu Jintao. You're stealing intellectual property. Uh, open your markets. And so it's not as if people were uh, naive about what was going on with China. But the, the, I do think there was a change with Xi Jinping. And that was that he essentially gave up on any sense that China had responsibilities to the international system and began to just take, take, take to uh, enhance China's uh, growing authority in the international system. And that meant uh, challenging the United States on technology. We're going to surpass you in AI and quantum computing. And, and uh, oh, by the way, we learned that we were way too dependent on on supply chains through China for everything from pharmaceuticals to uh, our overdependence on semiconductors—they're right, stealing our stuff—and uh,
3: then we're so reliant exactly. on them. Exactly,
1: and and that was maybe we maybe people were sleeping on that a bit, and and I give some credit to the Trump administration for raising, and to my friend Mike Pompeo for raising that uh, as an issue. I think we are we're now reacting uh, in a better way toward that, and uh, at core it means we have to get our own ha- act in order. It means we have to make the investments in technology here in the United States because I don't don't have authoritarian envy. The Chinese can lay out their plans. Authoritarians make terrible mistakes because it's a single point of failure with one man. You know, that zero COVID thing's not working out so well. That one child policy didn't work out so well. We're now hearing that their policy to be indigenous in what they do in terms of chip development isn't working out so well. So if we do what we need to do, I'll bet on American democracy, and I'll bet on our distributed innovation rather than uh, what China is doing.
3: But are you worried at all about American and Western companies becoming in some ways addicted to Chinese money and that huge market, far from perhaps turning the Chinese government in our direction? It seems like in some ways the Chinese government is able to manipulate American companies – because they don't want to lose access to the market. Is that an overblown fear?
1: Well, I I think it depends on what what companies you're talking about. I I really think, I tell companies all the time, if you have technology and China in the same sentence, uh, don't go there. Because uh, whether it's the Chinese wanting to be more indigenous in their development, or the American government rightly being concerned about the transfer of sensitive technologies and then ending up in the PLA, uh, the technology sector is going to decouple. And I have no problem with that. You know, if uh, if Chinese young people uh, want to buy iPhones, I don't really have a problem with that. And I will say something about it. You know, those Chinese leaders have those young princelings who kind of like Western uh, goods. Um, when uh, the NBA was uh, in the crosshairs because of what the general manager in Houston had said about Hong Kong, I did tell Adam Silver, I said, you know, Adam, they're not going to kick the NBA out. You know why? Because those young princelings, those only children, are not going to watch the Chinese national team play the Kazakh national team. They want to watch the NBA. So I don't want to cut off an entire generation of Chinese consumers from what America can produce, but I don't want to, uh, to uh, transfer uh, the, the jewels of technology either.
3: Well, you just mentioned NBA basketball. I think I want to talk NFL football When we come back, Dr. Condoleezza Rice, my guest here at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. It's the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned.
2: Let us be your escape from your drunk relatives. Happy Thanksgiving from us on the Guy Benson Show.
3: I'm Guy Benson here with Condoleezza Rice. Madam Secretary, since you invoke sports, I would be remiss if we did not talk a little football. Tomorrow night, Colts, Broncos in Denver, Thursday night football, Amazon Prime game. Interesting. Got it. You are now in the ownership group of the Denver Broncos. You went to school as an undergrad in Denver. Is it surreal? Looking back on your life and all the things that you've done, you are now an NFL, at least partial owner. That is wild.
1: That I, well, I'm a, a tiny partial owner, but it I am counts. a partial owner. It, it counts, counts. It counts. Uh, it, in some ways it's full circle. So I was the uh, daughter of a football coach who thought he was going to get a boy and who planned to have his all American linebacker and I'm an only child. So I jokingly said, I think my father's probably saying and he's gone to the Lord, but finally she got an important job. You know, she's a football, <laughs> she's an owner of the Denver Broncos. I actually went to high school in Denver. So my Denver contacts go, Denver connections go back even further than that. I love it. I love the sport. Um, I know it has a lot of challenges from player safety to how to think about the relationship to an intercollegiate uh, f- uh, framework that's changing uh, every every day, uh, but it's a really quite American sport. You know, we're impatient, so we want to clock. Uh, there are not that many things that bring uh, the CEO and the shop steward and the intern together because they're all wearing that Denver Broncos stuff. So uh, I love the sport, and I'm, I'm just grateful to uh, the uh, Walton Pitter Group for the uh, opportunity to be a part of the, the, the ownership.
3: Is there any tension, because of your passion for the game, between being now a partial owner of this organization and then a lifelong rabid fan of a different organization in Cleveland? Like, How do you navigate that?
1: It's funny. Uh, it's come quite naturally <laughs> with the Broncos. <laughs> Remember, I did live in Denver for all of those years, and so um, I, I love the Broncos as well. Um, I, I won't give up on the, the Cleveland Browns. I hope they win, except when they play the Denver Broncos.
3: All right, fair enough. Finally, since you mentioned player safety, if there were a Commissioner Rice, which I know has been a longstanding ambition of yours, on a slightly more serious note, we saw what happened with the Miami quarterback, Tua, and the concussion protocols and all of that. What would you recommend the league do? Because that's something where I think non-fans look in from the outside and say, yeah. "That's crazy."
1: Well, it is definitely a, a violent game. We know that it's a it's a game that is uh, what their risk to, it has to the, be. Their, their risk. Uh, I think the league has done a lot over the last years. Uh, I have a note: some neuroscientists who are working with the league on on brain injury and how to prevent it. Um, I think teaching people to tackle differently the rules, uh, these are all important things to do. But but when you have an incident that uh, may or may not be questionable, I think you review it. And I read that the uh, Players Association is going to review the circumstances. I think that's a good thing. I hope the, the league will review the circumstances because it, it, everybody needs to get better at this. Player safety has to be uh, the highest priority because uh, without, without the sense that player safety is taken seriously football won't won't last and so i think we all have a, an obligation to make sure that it's right in the forefront and i think the league has tried over recent years to do that uh you have to keep it's it's one of those things that you have to keep reminding yourself every day
3: dr condoleezza rice former secretary of state under the bush administration and now director here at the hoover institution madam secretary a real pleasure it's great to see you
1: great to see you and thanks for being with us here at hoover and welcome to california
3: The Guy Benson Show returns after this.
0: He was born in Saudi Arabia, which is why we call him our little prince. His last job was as a mannequin for J. Crew. He's got the face of an eighth grader in his bluff department. He's on our list of 40 under 40 who look like they're 14. He's like Peter Pan. He doesn't age and will never marry a woman. He has the face of your nephew and the politics of your dad. Host of the Guy Benson Show and Fox News
3: contributor Guy
0: Benson! Those are
3: priceless. (laughs) We are back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com, podcast always free. That was just a sampling of some of the generous introductions I received on the new-ish show of my next guest making his debut Mm. on the Guy Benson Show. He is the littlest host with the tallest ratings. Uh. Co-host of the five and the new king of late night. That is true. That Greg is true. Greg Gottfeldt, It is great to see you in studio. I am so happy to be here.
0: it's just I I, I can't believe this is my first time just with you. Yeah. You know. But uh well, in, um, in this context. In this context. Exactly. We won't get into the other context because it's filthy. But uh yeah, it's great. Huh? I love those introductions. When you put when you talk when you pile them on each other, yes. that's how it works. It's a long game. People don't understand that. It's a long game. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to have them all like so it's one person and it's just relentless.
3: I had forgotten about the one. He has the face of an eighth grader in his glove compartment. That I've, was a dark, I've, dark intro.
0: I ha- I think I wrote the second part of that the glove compartment.
3: So I'm, how do these get written?
0: Well, it, it started. I mean, it was obviously started at Red Eye um, and. It was my idea because a friend of mine's band, I had seen a friend of mine's band, and they introduced all the members like, he's six foot five, runs like a deer, playing drums, Dave Lombardo. And I'd be like, I should do that with my guests. And then I got so obsessed with it. I mean, I would write them, and then other guests who loved them, like Allison Rosen, wrote thousands of them. And she wasn't even, wasn't even working for me. Uh, I think – I can't remember if Andy and Bill wrote some. They might have. They probably did. But it was like – yeah, I, I'm sure we did like a round-robin thing. I, like, like It's kind of like how you do magazine captions where you take a – you just you, – you it goes around the staff like a picture of something and people write on it. That's how we did it. And that
3: started on red eye. Red, red
0: eye, yeah. And it's the hardest thing. Uh, people get re- – it's very hard to do Tyrus and Cat because you're doing it every day. Right. But it's easy to do you because you're on like once every two weeks. But um, – it's – no one else does it, and it's just like something that – I can't I, – I don't – I can't settle on just saying, hey, we're here with Dana Perino. It's got to have something
3: right. else. Does anyone ever get upset?
0: Um, some people might get shocked if I – if I if it appears that I might cross a line or
3: if You they, would never yes, do such a thing. They,
0: or if they think that I'm making fun of them, but I never do. I don't think I ever do. Maybe – maybe – Fifteen years ago on Red Eye, there might have been a person or fourteen years like that was like never seen the show before and was like, "What the hell's going on?" But I, I think it's like we've been, you know, everybody knows what's going on on that show now. Like if people all, get it, yeah, it's all teasing, it's all ridicule, it's all like getting under people's skin, and it's like it is like a nightly roast, and people don't, people don't. I don't think people understood where it was going until it happened. And I told, I told Tyrus and Kat that it was like, when we're here every day, it's going to just morph into a roast because that's the way, re- that's how red eye, cha- red eye became just an, an insult factory, you know? And it's like the best part. If you can't insult somebody, you don't like them. That's a fact. In fact, if you sit, if you sit, if you see me next to somebody and I can't make fun of them, it's. Because I I honestly am well, not interested.
3: Then you must really like Brian Stelter because
0: <laughs> those jokes
3: happen all the time. I will just say in terms of the support and the fandom of this show, not to blow smoke, you know this, but in the last couple of weeks I was talking to one friend of mine who's in his mid twenties in Colorado. Mm-hmm. He watches almost every night. He'll occasionally engage in some Colorado type behavior and then tune in. Yes. Who loves wouldn't? it. And then I was just in Georgia over the weekend, and I was at a dinner party with a bunch of retirees who watch every single night, and they freaked out when I mentioned you guys should come to New York and be in the audience. They're like, we're we're going to come. (laughs) They're huge fans. How would you talk about and sort of explain to people who maybe have heard about the show, haven't tuned in, why has it been so successful? Because you went from a show that didn't exist not long ago to beating all of these Mm -hmm. long-tenured on-air comedians who have staffs of dozens of people and millions of dollars of network TV money behind them. You're beating all of them. That upsets
0: me. The amount of money and support they have just blows my mind, but I'll get over it soon, I hope. But, uh, I, okay, number one, the, the key to take success, too, with, with, there was a hole there that needed to be filled. We knew it. You could tell. Was I ready for it? I wasn't sure. We talked about it for a while, and I didn't want to do it because I felt I wasn't ready or I didn't want the hassle. I was already doing a weekly show and The Five. I was exhausted. But how much more work would this be? you know i i've said this i told tucker this uh, you know on tucker's show that i actually called tucker and tucker convinced me to do it um and so the now the, the if i was describing this show to somebody it's a good mood there's like no, it's 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 a good mood where you're with your friends and you're just making fun of each other uh there is politics you're going to i'm not a liberal but i'm also the, almost all of the insults are directed at the host like i i call myself out constantly for being a complete idiot, and I think that's disarming to uh, people who might not like Fox to see. My God, this guy actually has a certain kind of—he uh, can see himself, you know. He's like you know? He, I don't take myself seriously. No, you don't get
3: mad because people. The question I get all the time after I do your show is, does Greg ever get upset with you when you make fun of him? I'm like, no, that's the whole point.
0: Yeah, no, I there's I never get happier. Than when somebody rips me because that means it's like a it's a group we're a group and that's the best part that's why I mean I love like red eye with Andy just would insult me constantly and and I would insult Bill and it would just be this constant back and forth it's just that's just the way people it's it's a disarming way of communication takes the edge off politics social problems
3: yep and the show gets less political as it goes yeah like A and B block there's a lot of politics and then it's off to nonsense land yeah, for a yeah. while. We
0: call it. What is it? We, what's the haircut? The uh, it's got the party in the back, serious up front. Party uh, a in the mullet. Back. A mullet. It's a news mullet. So it's serious <laughs> up front, party in the back. But the mullet keeps growing more and more, and the serious stuff gets you get bald. So now it's receding just, oh, hairline. You get a receding hairline. Oh. So it's all bald. It's all like you know when you see when you see Jesse without his toupee, oh. and it's just like
3: disgusting. It's a little water shot there. <laughs> He's very sensitive about that.
0: I know. Well, you know, it's like, you know,
3: own it, Jesse. And he, he does not have a toupee, for the record. That's a fact check. Here's the other thing about the space it's a hair <laughs> the hair system. The hair system is something that he can comment on perhaps when he comes, if he comes back on the show. He's a very busy man. These oh, days. yeah, apparently. He's so. got two shows. Yeah. But the space that you play in, sort of like this sandbox of late night TV. I think part of the reason that Gottfeld has been successful, aside from you and the team and Cat, and the what a mm-hmm. what a cool group, the rest of the landscape is so boring. Mm-hmm. They are all the same in so many ways. They are predictable. They either are terrified to make a joke about Democrats or they are just a democratic super PAC. Mm-hmm. And it's like People haven't learned the lesson of Fox News for 25 years yeah. that people might want something a little bit different sometimes. You know who they listen to only? They're publicist.
0: That's all, the, the 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 least humored person on the planet. is
3: <laughs> a publicist. Yeah,
0: a Because I worked in magazines and I had to deal with them. You know, people representing celebrities. They'll scare the crap out of you. They'll 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 blackmail you with like, you'll never see have this person on your show. And I represent all these other people. That freaks that freaks these. The producers out, so they got to be nice, and they get these celebrities on that are actually really fun to look at. But when they open their mouths, it's like, okay, I've seen enough. Turn the channel. And the celebrities are a great advertising, you know, uh, uh, morsel. So that works. Right. But you're, other than that, it's
3: it's it's we make our own celebs. They're like we have bad uh, we have Brad Pitt tonight. You're like up tonight, Guy Benson. Yes, it's like I can't compete with that. Uh, but you're it's more you, fun. you're
0: you're our, you're our Brad Pitt. You, let's you know? put that in my
3: intro tomorrow. I'm on the show tomorrow. <laughs> Our Brad Pitt. Let's write it way, down. You get that,
0: tomorrow's show is going to be great. Got Harlan Williams. I've been trying to get Harlan Williams forever. He's so funny. Pretend you know him.
3: So that's tomorrow night, yes. 11 p.m. Eastern, along with, I mean, every night, 11 p.m. Eastern. It's Gutfeld on Fox News Channel. I want to break real quick, Greg. Yes. Because when we come back, we have a quasi-surprise guest, a special mm-hmm. guest, a blast from the past that oh. we want to ask about you, your oh, favorite topic. Barry Bonds? Uh, we couldn't get him. This Tom, is,
0: um, uh, what's the, the, Tom, what's the guy, the quarterback? No, Tom Brady. Tom Brady? No, so yeah, you're clearly very close with we're Tom. We all with to Sarah together. Um, okay. No, Greg but, Jeffries. Lynn Swan. Was it Lynn
3: Swan? Fifth on the depth chart. We're going to take that break before he keeps rambling, just like ah. rattling off names. Greg Gutfeld in studio with me here in New York. Got it's the Tessera. Guy Benson Show.
2: You can clear the table later. Right now, just sit back and relax. Happy Thanksgiving from The Guy Benson
3: Show. We're back. It's The Guy Benson Show from New York. Greg Gutfeld here with me in studio. And we are now going to bring in a first-time guest on the program as well. It's Greg's first time. And now let's welcome in Jody Penner. She's an experienced nonprofit executive, mother of four, longtime friend of Greg Gutfeld since high school. Right. I met her recently in California. Yeah. She has many stories, apparently. And Jody, it's great to have you here.
8: Hi, Guy. Thank you for having me on.
3: So I just discovered that Greg played football in high school and he was a linebacker.
0: Yes. You probably don't remember that, Jody, but I was. No.
8: Yeah. I remember you playing hearts in the stands, <laughs> is what I remember.
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. I did play hearts. <laughs> but uh, I did play play football freshman year. You didn't know me then because, you know, girls didn't know freshmen, right? Yeah, so, like, no. I didn't exist. When did you first discover me? Was when it when, when you were dating a, uh, Johnny Giacomini?
8: <laughs> Maybe. I actually think it had to do with um, my other friend who had a huge crush on you. So oh, I'm my God. God that's right. That and yeah. then she
0: gossiped. She told some gossip at the supermarket. <laughs> and that got me in so much trouble because I told her about some gossip, right?
8: I don't it's something like that. Yes, yes.
0: and then yeah. it got to the the manager of the supermarket and then I never spoke to her again and she was very sad. She wanted to take me to the prom. But I went something. with some other girl to the prom.
3: Do you even remember what? your prom date's name?
0: Yeah, Stephanie Von Stein. Oh, that's Do you remember this Von Steins? Oh yeah, no you were pretty obsessed with her. <laughs> she I ran into her on the street like 20 years ago and she was going jogging in New York and she had a gun. That was interesting <laughs> to me. <laughs> But oh, anyway, she, everybody's gotten old, but me. Was,
3: was she glad that she had a gun when yeah, you ran but into her? Yeah, it was
0: weird. We like ran into each. Like, it was so funny. I don't know what we ran into each other on the street. But anyway, I hide. Here's the story. Next to me is my assistant L, who is Jody's daughter. So, so isn't that funny, Jody?
3: You have entrusted your daughter to Greg Gutfeld and his show. Is this good parenting?
8: Well, it, it was it was a tough decision. It was a tough call. So. Uh, <laughs> But actually, we he, she wouldn't really be here if it wasn't for him, since Greg introduced me to my husband. So. Oh, I'm
3: I'm, gl- I'm glad you finished that sentence, because <laughs> I thought we, we were just going to get a big bombshell reveal. That's Like, right. this is not the Maury Povich show, to my knowledge. Well, Wait, hang on. So, it look, so, Greg. As far as
8: I know. As far as I know. I'm not sure.
3: <laughs> so, Greg introduced you to your husband. Wait, how did that happen? Hmm.
8: Do you want to tell the story, Greg? I'm
3: i'm trying to re- where were we were you in san francisco we were-
8: yes yes yeah.
3: was it a
0: yeah, halloween
8: it was thanksgiving thanksgiving you were up- close enough you're with your mom yeah
0: was i where I was i where were you
8: well you came to <laughs> my apartment and then you were a bunch of your guys and a bunch of my gals we all met at. um oh my buzz god up.
0: that's right yeah yes now yeah. i remember that's how you met buzz so yeah.
3: so i have to ask you jody you knew Greg in high school. You did not remember that he played football. A lot of ankle tackles, I think, from his position at linebacker. <laughs> How was he in high school and college? Like, is he the same? Like, you just turn on TV and you're like, "Yep, that's the guy I knew." Or is he changed?
8: No, absolutely. He's, he's exactly the same. He just changed some of his jokes. There's no more throw babies as throw pillows jokes. He's moved on from that. So. <laughs> oh, no.
0: Did but I, I think, use that one a lot? Wow.
8: Yes. Yes, yes you did. <laughs> I had a tendency
0: to to say the same things over and over and over again. I still do. If you watch I the like five. I like the news mullet though. <laughs> Ironically, it's
8: the name of my new band.
0: So. News. Oh yeah, mullet. you heard news mullet. You yeah. know, um, But I have to credit. I have to credit Jody because she was one of the few people who actually laughed at me. If I remember, uh, you and you and you, you and your friends would come over to my house and talk to my mother. Do you remember that?
8: Uh, I think we did it once or twice, yeah. yeah. No, she, your mom's great. Yeah. That's great, yeah. Yeah. Great that's... woman, amazing woman. But she yeah. was a
0: chick magnet. She got you guys over to my house. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you so she was – and then we went and we did a formal. We went to a formal at UCLA. That was hilarious. That was
8: at UCLA. I always think how we actually managed to – Make those plans since there were no cell phones? I know. How did that come together? I have but, no idea. Like,
3: yeah, like landlines or like carrier pigeons. I How pay, was this-
0: I, there was a pay phone at the fraternity. I must have called her like a month before. She goes, hey, do you want to go to this formal? I, you can go with this girl. And then I'm going to go with – and then I go, okay. And then like we didn't yeah. like bother to check up. And I just we just show tripped in a crappy car, got down there with tuxes. Oh, man, yeah. it, was, it was horrible. Do you remember throwing those, that guy's shoes out the car window?
8: Oh my god! I forgot about that. Why do you remind me these things?
0: Um, yeah, no. <laughs> that was her date. Her date he was probably, a real slime ball. He
8: probably I didn't.
0: Yeah, walk, go, bye. Her, I don't know. Her date <laughs> wanted to hook up with my date, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. that's right. And then, and I told you, he came up to me mm-hmm. and asked if we could switch. And I told you. <laughs> and then I, because I was so pissed off at him, and then we, and so we found his shoes in the backseat of your car, and we threw them out, or our car. I don't know why they yeah. were there, and we threw them out on the 405.
8: Yeah, I think that sounds about, like, my attitude. Yes. Joni, <laughs>
3: since Greg brought up the topic of hooking up, I heard allegedly mm-hmm. that when you would bring some of your, like, gal friends to hang out with Greg, he had a tendency of finding them to be rather interesting and, and amassed quite, I think the kids call it, a body count <laughs> a, among your friends. Is that right? That's
8: that. that- sounds about right it was more when we were in post post post-college in our early work years um and he'd come visit me in new york and oftentimes there was a friend that we were all going out or even back when i was back in san francisco going out and somehow or another yeah it there was always a hookup involved
0: right yes there was you were like you were my wingman before i even knew what a wingman was (laughs) it did get awkward though because you had a studio apartment oh no
3: And ah, you were – ah, like she is kindly hosting Brooklyn. you.
0: Yeah, in Brooklyn, studio apartment in Brooklyn. I remember – well, I remember some awkward awkward moments. Your daughter's right to my right, so I don't know how <laughs> far I can get you. into this, except to say that you moved to the floor. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Was, yeah. The, that was such a good subtle. host of you yeah, to very move to the subtle. floor. But, uh, yeah, we had some good times. We had, we had yeah. some great – you took me to some great bars. One of the bars burned down. The, it was yeah. a great bar. Quit squidlies, yeah. Quibblies? Yeah. Well, they
8: rebuilt it, I think. Oh, um, did they? Yeah. Uh, oh gosh, no, I'm sorry. It's okay. I can't think of it right now, but yeah. And it, was like, it was an old. It was. <laughs> it was an old speakeasy, right in the yes. middle of that building, kind of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: I also was informed that there was a Vegas trip, and I shudder to ask about it, but I'm going to anyway. With a reminder that this is all, you know, live national radio. Jody, what is a weekend in Vegas with Greg Gutfeld like?
8: Yeah, and again this was this was during college, so a bunch of my friends drove up from LA and a bunch of his friends flew in from Cal. I don't know how we organized that and stayed <laughs> were we in like one room. Yes. At like a Motel Six of oh. so many of us. Yes. Um so it wasn't like cool Vegas. It was like <laughs> eighteen year olds in Vegas. It was
0: <laughs> You know, I it was like trying to it was like you were gonna go down to the blackjack table and you had five dollars. We we're trying to find like, is there like a dollar table or something? Um, There's
8: a lot of free drinks going on though, and and some all-you-can-eat buffets. Well, yeah, because they feed yes. you
3: drinks, so you keep gambling. We have like 30 seconds, Jody. Knowing everything that you know about Greg through your life, are you surprised at his success?
8: I'm not surprised. He was always super bright and funny, and um, I think he just took him his path was a little long. But I remember when um, John Stewart had that show on. Uh, MTV. I thought, that should be Greg. Greg would be better at
3: that. Well, and, and uh, here we are. There you go. A couple yeah. years later, yes. Jody Penner, longtime friend mm-hmm. of Greg Gutfeld. Her daughter is Greg's assistant. Say it's hello. amazing here in Fox World. I think her mic's off, but we're waving <laughs> to her. Greg Gutfeld, the five every day. Gutfeld at 11 p.m. on Fox News Channel. Great to see you. Let's do it again. Same here, man. Greg Gutfeld, our guest. Another hour of the Guy Benson Show is straight ahead.
2: You're listening to the best of Guy Benson.